The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. It is a pleasure to have you here joining me for this program, but I come to you with a heavy heart. As a South Florida sports fan, fellow South Floridians out there, you are sharing my pain right now for the dream is over. A couple weeks ago, I came to you all excited and jazzed up about the prospect of a NBA and an NHL team from South Florida being in their respective championships, Miami Heat, NBA Finals, Florida Panthers, Stanley Cup Final. The The possibilities were endless. Well, they weren't really endless. It was just the possibilities were winning two championships. And instead of winning two championships, we are bringing home a big old Goose egg, nothing, no titles. Both of our teams lose in five games, and I am despondent. Boy, what a crashing down to earth. Let me talk to producer Lauren about this, joining us this week. Hey, producer Lauren. Hey, Ryan. I am I am crushed, but I'll tell you what I also am, and, and I feel kind of guilty about this because as a South Florida sports fan, I shouldn't admit this, and I feel like people are going to accuse me of being a bad fan I'm actually kind of relieved it's over. The last couple weeks have been exhausting. (laughs) Watching a game every night. Because normally when you have a team in the championship in a seven-game series, you get like two or three days off in between games to collect yourself, to clean your house, to pay attention to your family. But when you have two teams in championships, every night is a game. Game, 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 game. And unfortunately, in this case, most of those games were losses. So I'm sad at the end of every night because Aww. we're losing almost every game. And so this is you know, for having your team in the championship. This has been kind of a slog of an experience. And I'm kind of happy it's over. We get to resume normal standard operating procedure around here. Yeah, I could see that. I I mean, in theory, if you're a sports fan, you're watching either way. You're just not emotionally invested. So it's all the emotional investment of losing every night that kind of takes the toll on you. That's what it is. I'm. Uh, it was emotionally draining to put yeah. so much of myself, because it's equal parts investing a lot of energy in the outcome of a bunch of overpaid millionaires playing a children's <laughs> game, coupled with like, the guilt I feel of being a 37 year old man who's obsessed with how people are doing in a game. I shouldn't care whether people wearing laundry that says Miami on it are doing well in sports. It doesn't change. Like the world will still spin on its axis either way, but I was invested in, and like, I feel silly about that, that like a team can make me feel bad. It should. You shouldn't feel bad about that at all. I mean, it's entertainment in one way or the other. Like, they're working their bums off to entertain us. Sure, they're sportsing it up and, and you know, physical activitying it. That's but it's absolutely still... a word. Don't let anyone tell you different. <laughs> Why not? Uh, but they're entertaining us, you know, whether it's gladiators or basketball players or indie musicians. Like, it's still entertainment, and it does get a community together to all shout together and, and you know, cry together after the game because it was not the ending you had hoped for. Oof. But it's so much you crying. should be emotionally invested. They're, they're working really hard for a lot of people that especially in Miami, go, meh, they're losing. I'm going to sleep. Who cares? Like, And they play through to the end of the game. <laughs> so somebody should watch and cheer and applaud when they walk off the court. I was going to say stage because my brain autopilot's there, but it is not a stage. Well, they certainly exited <laughs> stage left around game three and never really returned to said stage. 
I mean, I really. I mean, Which team there are we talking about? I, I feel. Well, I mean, pick one. Exactly. But I feel extraordinarily guilty about the fact that there are there are people in fan bases and other yeah. parts of the country who've like never seen their team make you know a championship and never gotten to get this close, right? Like, yeah. there are you know I don't think a Canadian team has won the Stanley Cup in like twenty years, and these yeah. humid, hot weather hellscapes in the southern United States keep winning these like Vegas shouldn't be a hockey champion. That's wrong. It's wrong for South Florida to be too, but like it should be going to these like cold weather cities in Canada that actually care about hockey. So these people who really care, they don't get to taste this. Whereas me, I'm like saying, Oh, I'm glad it's over now. Cause now I can just go back to cleaning my house again. I mean, I feel guilty saying that, but it's true. These last couple of weeks have been legitimately exhausting and stressful. And I hate to admit it. I'm glad it's over. You just reminded me of that commercial where he's like, great. What are we going to do next? And the guy's like, I kind of want to take a nap. Mm. <laughs> I was like, really? That's where we're going right now. Well, and the NBA playoffs takes forever. I feel like the, yeah. I feel like the first round of the NBA playoffs was like two and a half years ago. I feel like it was, I feel like the, I think the first round of this playoffs, I swear to God, took place pre-COVID. It takes forever. It is uh, such a slog. Anyway, like I'm happy it. that, and I'm sure the fans are happy that this means I won't be opening an episode of Break the Business talking about Miami sports for a while. So I think every all of our viewers and listeners collectively are celebrating and just, you know, high-fiving each other oh thank god he's just gonna get back to talking about empowering indie creators sports? again like there's there's kind of a sports season i know there's a basketball season and a hockey season like does sports just kind of stop over the summer well we have this little little niche sport in america called baseball uh it's uh oh. it's around you know a couple people know about it it's it's sort of up and coming a little new to the scene but they're they're trying they're they're boosting their profile every day um they yes play in we, the summer? we do have baseball they it is the it is the summer game yes they are very much in the middle of baseball season right now and now this is what and, and this is the time of year where like this is all you get until football season starts up again in the fall in september okay i'm gonna feel really dumb now but is it the miami marlins or did we change to the florida marlins <laughs> we were the florida marlins and now we're the miami marlins oh it's the other way that's correct Okay. It's that kind of hard-hitting sports <laughs> analysis you can only find on Sirius XM Slam Radio Woo! 145, where we have all these, I mean, you have Greg Cody on okay. Slam Radio. You have Larry Million on Slam Radio. These are big-time sports talkers, and you're up here not knowing if the Marlins are the Florida Marlins or the Miami Marlins. I knew that at one point they were both of those. <laughs> So I, I knew there was a name change. Okay, look, okay, these may be entertainers, but they are not indie creator entertainers. They're like way corporate over there. They are, so. yes, they are, they are the definitely the superstars. Uh, speaking of indie creators, we got a couple really terrific ones coming up in the next segment. Joining us after the break, we're going to be joined by indie rock duo Twilight Muse, uh, otherwise known as Megan Pilaro and Andrew Shapiro. A really cool pop rock duo. Uh, definitely true indie rock. I love their music. They got a new album coming out on the 23rd. I've been digging their catalog. And really, I've been digging their story. And I'm excited to share the story of Twilight Muse with the indie creators because I think there's a lesson in their story that other creators can adhere to. Because whereas you have a lot of indie creators who start their career off when they're very, very young and you know work through their career and that's their singular focus and they're going to, quote, follow their passion their whole life, Twilight Muse's story is different and in a lot of ways is the story of a lot of modern indie creators where these are two terrific musicians who did other things in their life first. Andrew Shapiro a terrific lawyer and an impact investor. Megan Pilaro was an entertainment industry executive. They did their respective careers for a, a long time. They were great at those careers. They continue to be great. And sometime later in their life, they met up at a, one of these like, uh, you know, muse, musician meetup kind of things, these entertainment jam sessions. They met at one of these jam sessions. They said, hey, we really like playing together. They formed a duo and they're off to the races. And, you know, the, the album is great and they're able to use the connections they gained in their separate careers to, you know, move their career forward in a way they wouldn't have otherwise been able to had they just started in their music career from the beginning. 
And I like these kind of stories because it gets back to a piece of advice I tell students all the time when I teach classes uh, at college. I always end with this same piece of advice to every group of students. And people think I'm crazy for it. And I'm going to be like the last person that ever gets invited to a graduation speech for giving this advice because it's like the most anti-graduation speech advice. But the advice is don't feel like you have to follow your passion, which is the opposite advice you hear at graduation speeches, right? It's always follow your passion, follow your passion, follow your passion. But I think what the Twilight Muse story tells us is you can actually oftentimes achieve your passion more effectively by not following your passion and instead do what I call following your success. So there you you may come at a time in your life where you are at a crossroads where you're like, I'm really passionate about X, whether it's making music, whether it's acting. It's usually something in the creative profession. That's usually (laughs) what people's passions are. Nobody's passionate about roofing um, or accounting or something like that. They're passionate about, you know, being a rock star or whatever. And so you might go down, you might follow your passion, or you might find out at a relatively young age, as people do, that you're really good at something that you could be successful at. And maybe it is accounting, and maybe you're not passionate about accounting, but you're damn good at it, and you like it. You don't love it. It's not your all-encompassing everything, but you really like it, and you're good at it. There is something to be said for not following your passion and instead follow your success. Be the accountant. Be really good at the accountant. Become successful. Become prominent. Make lots of money. And along the way, keep your passion close to you. And use the connections, the money, the resources, the doors opened from following your success to create opportunities for your passion. There's a, a gentleman that I, 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 you know, one of my mentors, one of my clients, a gentleman you know, I won't mention his name on the air, but um, he's really prominent. He's really, uh, his passion is making movies. He loves making movies. He's always been passionate about movies. But, and so he could have done at a young age what a lot of people who are passionate about making movies do, which is, I'm going to go to film school. I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to do the traditional route. I'm going to go to film school. I'm going to be broke. I'm going to get an internship (laughs) at a film studio. I'm going to get coffee for some director. I'm going to grind my way up the ladder. It's going to suck. And maybe in 20, 30 years, I get to be a film producer. (laughs) If you're not suffering, it's not art. Right. And you get to suffer and you're broke and you may never actually (laughs) achieve the success. And instead of doing that, he could have done that. He could have followed his passion. Instead, he realized you know, I'm really pretty good at real estate. In fact, I'm very good at real estate. So what did he do? He went into real estate development. He, you know, got really into that. He was very successful at it. He made lots of money. He opened a lot of doors for himself. He built businesses. And along the way, he got into the rooms with the elites because he was exceptional at what he does. And you know this, Lauren, elites, regardless of industry, tend to run in the same circles. You, you know, the, the elite party is going to have the movie stars in it, but it's also going to have the real estate tycoons in it. It's going to have the best damn accountants and the best damn college professors because elites like to run together. And so he got into the rooms with those elites, not because of what he did on the film side, but what he did on the real estate side. And he got to meet those film production industry people. He got to meet music industry people. And so what is he doing now? He produces films. And he got there not by following his passion where he still might be trying to get somebody coffee to this day, but instead he got there by following his success and using the resources and the uh, talents and the doors open from following success to achieve his passion. And I feel like Twilight Muse might be a story like that as well. These are two people who achieved success in different fields, but then used that success to get to where they are today, which is making music together which is their passion. And I'll I'll make this last note uh, on this point. I see it in my own entertainment law practice. All right. I have a lot of entertainment law clients who absolutely followed their passion, right? They've been creative professionals their whole lives and it was a grind, but they got there and they're successful and I am their lawyer. Mm -hmm. But, but a lot of my entertainment clients are accountants, our business peoples, our doctors, our lawyers, our teachers, And they do their creative thing on the side to 
fulfill them, to make them happy. And they use the resources that they gain from their actual career to fund their career in the entertainment industry. And they're getting a lot farther in their passion by following their success than they would have gotten just by following their passion directly and being most likely broke. <laughs> and so, I mean, I guess, I guess the lesson in all that is to tell creators, like, if you're not 100% following your passion right now, don't feel like that's failing. Follow your success. Keep your passion close to you. There you Follow go, your yeah. success, and you might be able to uh, achieve success that way as well. I do like that. Don't lose your passion or let your passion, you know, go to the wayside. I like the follow success, but let, let your passion fuel you because if you're... Mm -hmm. If you're going to be aiming for things that make you successful, you're still going to want to do it for a reason that's fulfilling to you. So like you're yeah. saying if you can make the connections or make the money or make any of these things doing things you're happy doing, that's great. And when it's fueled by a passion that you can then use those assets to benefit, like that's that's still feeding your passion and that's still achieving your goals. Um, but maybe a different path than right. You're used to hearing, you know, when I give the piece of advice to students, I say it just like that. I say, don't follow your passion. And they go, oh, what? You're a teacher. You're not supposed to say that. I say, don't follow your passion. Keep your passion close to you, but follow your success. I, I even like to think that I adhere to that in my own work as well. Like, if you were to ask me, if you were to like, you know, inject me with truth serum and be like, all right, Ryan, admit it. What are your passions? Like, what is the passion in your life? And I'd say, I mean, in terms of professional passions, like obviously passion about my family, blah, blah, blah. But what are your professional passions? I'd probably say if you had to pin me down, doing radio and teaching. Those are the two things I'm probably the most passionate about. I like talking on this podcast and hanging out with, with you, Lauren. Aww, and I like teaching. I like teaching college students. If I did the, either of those things full time, I would probably hate it. Mm -hmm. If I had to teach a full course load and make as my full time job, I would probably hate it. Too much teaching, too much administrative stuff. And probably not making enough money to, you know, <laughs> to support my family the way I want to. And similarly, if I was doing radio full time, I'd probably hate it. Too much administrative work. I'd be I'd be out in like some random city in Shreveport right now doing, you know, uh, overnight drive as a DJ or something. And I and I would hate it. And in, so instead of follow your passion, I, you know, I realized I was pretty good at being an entertainment lawyer. And I was pretty good at law and I like law. And so I've been able to use law as a way to, you know, sustain myself and make a good living and be happy. But also following my success allowed me to do the things of my passion. I'm now, I'm now a radio host Yay! and I, you know, talking about things I'm interested in and I'm a teacher. You know, nobody would be hiring me for teaching jobs if I didn't achieve some level of prominence in entertainment law. So I guess, you know, that that shows the other way this can happen. You know, we'll call it the, the Twilight Muse approach, right? Like Twilight Muse um, is are where they are right now uh, because they found success in respective fields, achieved that success, and used that success to get to this really cool point in their lives where they have encountered their passion later in life together, making a really awesome album that comes out June 23rd that we're going to talk to them all about after the break that was kind of a circuitous way to get there but i think it's an important lesson for indie creators because yeah. we feed young people such a steady diet of you have to be doing your passion all the time if it doesn't make you insanely happy at every moment you're doing something wrong you know when when in reality we should provide them with something more nuanced yeah about keeping your passion close to you understanding that you know it's close to your heart and it's going to be the thing that sustains you but it's okay to do something you like but don't love if you can find success at it because that success might lead you to your passion. Yeah, or to more success in your passion. You could be yeah. doing your passion every day of your life, but you could also be draining yourself in many, many, many ways. And your passion can, again, fuel everything yeah. else you're doing when it gets to be your passion and doesn't become your, if I don't do this, everything in my life is falling apart, which isn't helpful. Well, 
there's and there's another side to following your passion as well that I think should be discussed if we're going to talk about the psychology of quote following your passion. And it's I've seen a lot of people who follow their passion and follow it so uh of one mind, like so focused, so tunnel vision about their passion that it winds up ceasing to be their passion because, oh, right. yeah. you know, you turned it into work, right? What better way to hate the thing that you love the most in the world <laughs> by making it the thing that you have to do to survive. And for some people it works out really well for them, but I've seen, you know, my law school class had many a failed screenwriter in it. <laughs> Um, and, or, or, you know, many, you know, many, a actor who, uh, it didn't work out for them. And now when I say to them, Hey, you ever, would you ever think about, you know, writing another play again or writing another movie? Oh God, no, I'm, I'm done with that. Cause they, you know, they got, they banged their head against the wall so hard trying to follow their passion and do nothing else early in their career. They wound up hating it. You know, yeah. I think, and again, going back to my own example, I think if I had to teach every day, I would hate it despite it being my quote unquote passion. If I had to do radio every day. I'd probably hate it despite it being my passion. So, um, you know, be more nuanced about this. That's all I'm saying. It gives you it gives you depth, too. Like I, I used to tell my students, uh, if you can do anything else and be happy, do it. And it wasn't a don't do this, but it is a in the entertainment world as a actor, or as a musician, making music about making music for people who make music isn't uh giving your audience isn't, you know, bringing in a broad audience. You're not bringing experience from things other than the music world or the theater world. And so when you can be an attorney or when you can go make a roof or be an accountant, you have a perspective that you get to bring to your art because you've lived a life outside of the art world as well, which I think has value when you're making art. I like that. And I would love to talk to Andrew and Meg about that and see the extent to which their respective professional backgrounds outside of music helped inspire their art. I'm almost positive it did, but I, you know, I don't want to speak for them. We'll, we'll hear from them in the next segment about that. I feel like we'd be doing the audience a grave injustice, Lauren, if we didn't give them what I think is a runaway success at being the most popular segment on this show. Without further ado, here's the AI overlord tip of the week. Happy Father's Day, everybody. Depending on when you're viewing or listening this, it's either just before, just after, or bam, right on Father's Day. But either way, we're around that Father's Day season. And it's a particularly exciting Father's Day for this radio host because it is my very first numero uno Father's Day. Uh, my my little boy has told me that, uh, you know, he told me in his like little babbling baby language because oh, okay. he's you know only 10 or 11 months old, that he's going to make this a great Father's Day for me. Uh, he is going to sleep through the night. He's not going to uh, cry excessively. It's going to be a wonderful Father's Day. I'm excited for it. And I figured in honor of Father's Day, I would uh, have uh, I would give some fatherly advice to all the viewers and listeners. But as a new dad, what the hell do I know about <laughs> advice? And so I asked Chad GPT to give us some advice for indie creators from the perspective of a father giving fatherly advice to his son. Does that make sense? Yes. And I told ChatGPT, make it as smarmy and 80s sitcom dad as possible, maybe with an extended metaphor in it, just something super cheesy. I feel like ChatGPT made this happen for us. So without further ado, I'm going to perform... The fatherly advice uh, that uh, that the AI overlord prepared for us this week so that we can all have our hearts properly warmed this Father's Day. <clears throat> hey, sport. Those stars sure look bright tonight, huh? You know, son, being an indie creator is a lot like navigating through the stars. At first, it all seems chaotic confusing. You look up and there's a million points of light. 
each one seeming to beckon you in a different direction. It's easy to feel lost, even overwhelmed. But here's the thing, kiddo. Each of those stars, they're like opportunities, ideas. Some shine brighter than others. Some might even eventually fade out. The trick is not to get dazzled by the multitude, but to find your own constellation, your own unique pattern that makes sense to you, that guides your way. Sure, you'll have some shooting stars, those brilliant ideas that streak across the sky and disappear just as quickly, and that's okay. Not every idea is meant to be a North Star. Some are just there to remind you of the vastness of your own potential, to keep you looking up. And yeah, you're gonna stumble sometimes, son. There'll be times when the clouds obscure your vision, when the path you've charted seems to vanish. But remember, the stars, they're still there, behind the clouds. You just have to have patience and wait for the sky to clear. And most importantly, buddy, being an indie creator is about being true to yourself. It's about taking your own little spark and adding it to the grand tapestry of that night sky. So don't worry if your light seems a little small right now. Just remember, it's dark out there, but every bit of light makes a difference. Shine your light, son. Shine it for all to see. I want to like, I don't have the like, ooh, applause thing that you have on yours, so I can't like applaud. There it is. There it is, yeah! Okay, pretend like I did that for you, because... That's so sweet. Oh. I feel like the Father's Day message, I was thinking you were giving a message to a father, but you weren't. You were a father giving a message that's to right. your that's, son. That's right. That's what we dads do, whether Aww. we be flesh and blood or AI overlord. We are here for our children on Father's Day to give some advice. And why I can't believe how I'm well Chad GPT. for Nathan in like a decade. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe how well ChatGPT handled the extended metaphor of equating one's career as an indie creator to stars in the night sky. That is some brilliant Shakespearean type stuff that makes me all the more convinced that this thing is coming for all of our jobs. Woo! But Good Lord. Um, I do love it. I it's uh, It's utterly delightful. It warms my heart. And I just, I am so, oh, I feel good now. And It was you know, a feel good little segment there this week i was like oh yeah i like that all right let's collect ourselves we're going to take a quick break and bring on our friends from twilight muse here on break the business don't go anywhere happy father's day ryan carella here i hope you're enjoying the show and i hope that you're getting a lot out of it i do what i do because i care about creators like you a lot I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Corella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, you lovely humans. Ryan Carella here with producer Lauren, having just a grand old time on all major podcasting platforms, all major streaming platforms, and on Sirius XM 145. Wherever you're checking out this particular program, we just 
are glad you are and hope that you tell a friend so we can keep this little community growing because, boy, are we having a blast out here. Got a quick piece of news that just came over my email that I think is worth mentioning. Our friends from Bandcamp wanted me to let you all know that on June 19th, that's going to be on Monday as you all are checking this out. Juneteenth. Juneteenth. uh, Bandcamp is going to be holding its fourth annual Juneteenth fundraiser where if if you buy something on June 19th on the Bandcamp platform, which generally is always a cool thing to do because, boy, do they got some good stuff over on Bandcamp. Bandcamp is going to be donating 100% of its share of sales to the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. So a great way to support the cause and to observe Juneteenth while also getting to support indie creators. There's a lot to like about that. I love it when Bandcamp does this. Bandcamp does like their Bandcamp Fridays where they if you buy things on Fridays that more of the share goes to the artist. They're always supporting various social causes and this Juneteenth one is no exception. Show love to our friends over at Bandcamp and the indie creators who uh, are on that platform. That would make all of us here at Break the Business quite happy. Producer Lauren, if you could, we'd love to go ahead and bring out our guests this week. They are a New York-based indie rock duo who the blog Tinnitist called an inspired jolt of pop rock energy. Their debut album is slated for June 23rd, and you can check out their latest singles now by visiting twilightmuse.nyc. We are thrilled to welcome Meg Pilaro and Andrew Shapiro of Twilight Muse on Break the Business. Hello to you both. Hi. Hey, Ryan. How you doing? Doing so, so well, despite all of my teams in South Florida just pooping the proverbial bed. But that <laughs> all of that is made better by the fact that we are thrilled to be seeing you both and talking about your amazing story. So let me set the scene for you both here, Andrew and Megan. This is a few years ago now. Um, you both had obvious musical ability and music was a big part of your lives, but you took different career paths before then. Andrew, you were a lawyer and an author and investor. Meg, you were an entertainment industry executive. And then later in life, you met up, you met each other at a jam session a few years ago and you hit it off. And uh, ever since then, you, you know, Twilight Muse was born. You guys were making music. Can you take the story from there? How did things get started? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good recap. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, we, we met and like had this, like, uh, what we call a musical crush on each other. And, uh, we both had a, this like, you know, burning passion to kind of do something in music. And, uh, you know, we, um, we, we started in a cover band and we were playing live and that was awesome. And, um, you know, through the pandemic that got us through a lot of things. And then Andrew and I, you know, started writing music together, uh, maybe just a year ago and then that exploded into an album and you know here we are now uh kind of crazy but i feel like when you have a great partner and you have the drive it's like all possible that is a breakneck fast timetable for getting an album out (laughs) my goodness i know it's true it's true i mean you know you two must be but to be fair i mean we are exhausted. I, I, I'm particularly <laughs> exhausted. I'll tell you that I, I'm actually speaking to you in the middle of the night because I happen to be, uh, I'd like to say I'm on tour in Europe, but uh, I'm, I'm actually on a trip in uh, Oslo, Norway. Oh, uh, so it's really nice in the middle of the night. But, <laughs> but it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. I actually had a, a, a pretty amazing uh, serendipitous experience that I'll have to mention before I answer the rest of the questions since we're talking about it on the street this afternoon and i've only been here for two days who do i bump into strolling past me on the beautiful night skies first of all it's late i mean it's light here until midnight you know so it's oh like, it's that kind of norway Just, yeah 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 it's white yeah. nights and all that um who do i see stroll past me the quintessential new york rock icon and character patty smith what? whoa yeah hanging out like, in norway walking down the street with I think her son, who I recognize from because I follow her religiously. Um, I was like, that is a that is bizarre. Um, She must know I was going to be on break the business in the middle of the night tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, Patty, it's us. Come on the show with me. 
and I and I really, you, I mean, Meg, you you get why that's so crazy. Meg and I, like, God. you know, we're that's like, really we're, bizarre. We're actually gonna sing a Patty Smith cover uh, at our upcoming next gig. Although this, we're here to talk about originals, so let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, Meg, yeah. you were. Uh, talking about our, our quick pace of writing, but I would add one thing, Ryan and Lauren, which is that also the reality is that some of these songs were germinating for a while, right? So when you, when we, we, we've been writing together, but we've also had concepts and notions and ideas that we were developing on our own. And then they came to full fruition because of our collaboration, right? So you had a fragment and then because of our give and take and our creative dialogue, uh, those things blossomed into, you know, fully uh, realized songs. That's Can awesome. You step me through. I'm still like, wow, you guys, <laughs> you met jamming together, right? Hey, this is great. I like working with you. And then you decided to work together and then went from playing other people's music to deciding to write your own together. How did that kind of progression happen? like meeting somebody at jam session and then deciding to start a band with them by itself isn't something that happens every day. Finding somebody it's you click not. with. And you're yeah. Like, I mean, in yeah. New York, this is the piece of New York I miss, right? When you're in a creative environment where you walk into a bar and there's a bunch of people there just creative. I miss it. But uh, how did that happen for you where you guys realized not only that you wanted to play together, but that you could collaborate on original stuff? I feel like, um, you know, the connection was definitely really strong when we first met. And then we were all having like such an amazing time kind of in this cover band. And, you know, then it was the pandemic and it was sort of like, you know, we were trying to find our way to like keep that going. We played we played a, a really great show during the pandemic. We did like um, a show at the Brooklyn Bowl, which was like all live streamed. And then we did another show at the Brooklyn Bowl with with Daryl DMC McDaniel uh, for for a charity um, that he runs. And, you know, it was like we had this great momentum, but like there were six people in that band similar to Andrew and I that were like busy and like life and like all this stuff. And it was like it just became really hard. And, you know, listening to what you guys were talking about is like passion, passion, like pursue your passion. But like if you have a gun to your head, it's like not the passion, it's like work and then it's not fun. So like we kind of realized that people just got busy, but Andrew and I weren't done and, and we wanted to make time. Um, and I think, you know, we had the shared commitment. You know, that's like everything. If you don't have, you know, I said this before, but like a partner and like a, you know, a North star, it's like, it's not going to work. <laughs> so I think that we just kept driving each other. And there were, you know, there were a lot of times where we push each other, like, you know, like, you know, stop living your, your other life and, and get back <laughs> to this life. You know, we have to, but we're both aligned and, and really passionate about it. Let me, I think that's a great segue to kind of bring you both in on the discussion that Lauren and I were having in the first segment, the idea of, do you follow your passion? Do you follow your success? And, I, we were talking about you know putting words in your mouth because we didn't actually give you a chance to 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 speak to this. But from what I can sort of infer from your story, you seem to have gotten to where you are by you know assuming that making music is you know this passion you have. You didn't. You got to where you are not by just following your passion all the way from the beginning, but by being successful in different fields by following your success. And then presumably you are where you are today making music because of what you were able to achieve professionally outside of music. I, I can imagine that you have uh, accumulated resources and, and connections and other things uh, through your professional lives that you are now able later in life to use to advance your passion and make this album. Uh, does any of that kind of resonate with your story or am I just completely off this? <laughs> you want to go first, Andrew? Or You go first. Okay. Um, it's really, it's really strange because if you look at my background, you would say, yeah, like that has to be the case. But in a lot of ways, it's like, it's not the case. <laughs> um, I feel like the, the, the central point of how Andrew and I met was through a business relationship of mine, but it was more along the lines, like, you know, I was in a meeting in a pitch 
And me and this person just like hit it off on a personal level and just kind of started talking about our love of music. And he was the one who invited me to this, you know, jam session a couple of years ago. And then, you know, for, for Andrew, he can explain, but similarly, so like, yes, that happened through quote business, but, um, you know, I haven't called any agent friends yet, yet. And been like, yo, I dropped this, yo, we got this album. Like, let's, let's like, help me out. Like, what do I need to do? Like, you know, we haven't really called in a lot of favors in that way. Oh, I would have um, totally done that. <laughs> <laughs> I would have been so shameless. Wait till the launch party. It's coming. The invite. Yeah, well, I'm not saying yeah. we're not entirely shameless. I'm just saying maybe we haven't like pressed, pressed, uh, you know, overdrive yet. Like help because like, you know, I don't know. Like, um, it's kind if of, if I just, were Andrew, I'd be telling Patty Smith about my album coming out on June oh, 23rd. I would totally have told her too. I would have, you would have done that. You would have done that. I would have went for it. What do you think, Andrew? So I, Look, it's funny because uh, I just saw Scott Galloway weigh in on this question. I don't know if that was any of the inspiration for this. And he was taking issue with this. I think you know, people cite Steve Jobs for the follow your passion thing, right? He's among those who gave famous commencement speeches, telling mm -hmm. people to live every day like it might be their last. Uh, but I followed my passion and work, too. Like, I've basically been an entrepreneur my whole career and kind of done my own thing and figured out my own way. Uh, and so I guess Meg, I agree with Meg, which is like, it wasn't an either or like follow your passion or do what you're good at. Somehow I found a way that had both those things. Right. And, and yet, you know, I didn't try to be a touring rock star when I was 22, you know, other things got in the way that, um, I think it's true probably did get me to this moment where I had the time and mindset and um network and ecosystem and 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 kismet just like good luck to meet meg and then for us to play in this band and i actually think covid and the pandemic and the lockdown actually helped this project uh succeed i'm not sure we would have shaped it or or taken as much time totally. as we had obviously in those two years and we did some funny, crazy projects like remotely while we were in COVID. We did a bunch of covers and did like, I'm you know, covers where everyone was recording separately, sending stuff to me. I was like pulling it together in logic. Then we started making videos and we were just laughing and having a good time. And that innocence and sense of fun kind of kept, stayed with us. And we were like, let's, let's write music because we were making stuff in COVID. Uh, and that led naturally. And in fact, it's not on the album, but a song that we wrote initially that we played live in that Brooklyn Bowl show was kind of a COVID, like, get me the hell out of here. Song. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was called Release Me. It was we'll have called... to, it, it's like our it's like our Bob Dylan dates. Uh, we'll have to find that. Yeah, you know, Meg. Oh, oh. I find it. So you guys write separately as it were and like i i was reading something about like you pass it back and forth are you sending audio messages to each other do you get are you doing that just with the musical pieces or are you just texting each other ideas all day i mean if you like saw some of my voice notes <laughs> they're, they're crazy i'm like no 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 like i'm just literally singing weird things to andrew like a lot um, but yeah, we, we have like, we use like notes on our iPhones and we like share notes and it's basically like, you know, one of us will send a fragment, a thought, a lyric, a melody to, to the other. And then we just kind of riff on it and, and go with it. And I would say like, like not exaggerating 80% of the stuff that we send has turned into a song. I think there's like three things that we're still figuring out, but we have a really good shared mind. Um, we're just on the same page. And it's like, Andrew is more of the classic musician, like more professional. I would say he knows, he's like, what key are you in? I'm like, I don't know. What, what is this? <laughs> ah, you know? And um, so I will say things to him 
And then it's like he's hearing in my head exactly what I'm thinking. Like I'll, I'll sing him a melody and then, you know, he puts the music behind it in, in logic and stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah, that's like exactly what I was thinking. It's crazy. I love that for you. That makes me so happy. <laughs> it's good. It's good. So do you have any opportunities to um, jam as it were? Are you collaborating musically in real time or is it most of it a back and forth? Yeah. Like, I'll toss you the ball and then you toss it back to me. Yeah. I, I think we like get like a, a rough demo started like that. I mean, Andrew, you could speak to that because you are sort of our our, our music director. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, we, we, we have written stuff sitting in the same room at the same time. I actually think there's something um, productive about the iterative nature of how we do it. Because it's sometimes when you're in the, I mean, we've written stuff. I mean, like I remember Destination U, we were writing in my studio. Do you remember? But but even that, like, there's a riff that I've started or there's something that Meg has been singing to herself in the shower. <laughs> um, and then those things get woven together. So there's something healthy about, like, you're in your you're in your moment and then you're like, I got to get something good to my creative partner over here. Um, it's actually a really good, I just thought of this, a book about du duos, duets. Got to get this for you, Meg. Um, oh. written by a guy I know called Josh Shank. Um, and I don't remember what the name of the book is, but, um, I'm going to look it up in a second, but, but he has chapters on all these different creative pairs. And one is Lennon and McCartney. And mm -hmm. there's a whole dynamic, he, how he talks about how they would go away from each other and come back. And like John would write something. You see this in Get Back in the in the documentary, right? They'd leave, they'd come in the next morning and be like, I got something here, all right, right? And like <laughs> they'd like play it and the guys would be like, oh, that's pretty good, you know. And uh, <laughs> we're all just going to let that Lennon like, McCartney impression slide. <laughs> Wait, uh, I've known Andrew for a long time. I don't think I've ever heard that. <laughs> Let's play Her face was priceless. She was like, ooh. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah, um, it's 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 three uh, fifty three in the morning. So, man, we yeah. appreciate the, you so much. The European break the business guest always <laughs> has a special place in our heart because yeah, we yeah. we are recording this nine p.m. Eastern time. So whenever we have somebody who's on the other side of the Atlantic, it will break them. <laughs> you're you're doing the six hour time difference. It is brutal. You're also dealing with like what, what it's called polar night, where it's just yeah. like like the everything's messing with your circadian rhythm right now. It's but you're true. hanging in there, and we appreciate it. I like this approach to songwriting, right? You know, yeah. when we think of the traditional way that people make music together, it's oh, you're in the same room, you're working on stuff together, but. What Andrew and Meg show us is that songwriting can often take place separately and then coming together like uh, Andrew's Beatles example. It can be sort of a passing of the baton where one person makes something, sends it to the other who you know, carries the art a little further forward and then passes it back to their colleague. I mean, one of my, I'd say my favorite album of all time was uh, Give Up uh, by the Postal Service in 2004. Mm. And the name of the band, The Postal Service, is named after how the two members, Ben Gibbard and Jimmy Tamborello, made their album, which was, this was old enough that they literally would send the tracks back and forth to each other through the Postal Service. Like, Ben Gibbard would work on a little bit, send it to Jimmy, Jimmy would uh, add a beat behind it, mail it literally back to Ben Gibbard, and they made my favorite album in that very way. So... There's something to be said for kind of different ways to collaborate. And I would imagine for two busy professionals, something where you don't have to be in the same place all the time to create can allow you to create your work more flexibly and, and make uh, a pretty cool album that's coming out June 23rd, which I imagine you all are just super excited about. Andrew mentioned something in, in passing as well, which was, um, I'm not quoting directly at all, but almost an accountability to your collaborator where he's like, when you send something, you feel this need to come up with something creatively to send back. So when there is that gap, you're not just kind of going, well, whoever brings it, brings it. You're like, well, I have to send something back, so I better get those juices yeah. flowing. And I was like, that's kind of a cool uh, energy to yeah, bring that's, to it. Lauren, that's a great observation. I think that Meg will send me, you know, 
a melody, a fragment, a line of a chorus, and then I'll I want to I'll I want to jump right in there and you know start. It's like a it's almost like a chess game. Right. Like she put you know pawn to whatever, and I was like, okay, I'm coming over here. Come over there. Oh my god, that was incredible. What yeah. a move! How did you think of that? That got me excited when you mentioned that. I was like, oh yeah, I want I want to have it's, to come up with something because it's, yeah. it's a good pressure. Yeah. And it like, almost suggests that it could be more accountability than if it's just two people in the same space. Because when I, that happens, you could have one person who's doing all the writing and the other one's just drinking a beer or something. <laughs> you're yeah. doing your, your approach yeah. actually gets make sure that both people are working because person number one can't do their thing until person number two sends the work back to them. I think and it's then also, the other thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go, Meg. Just like having the schedules that we have, it's like really the only way. Like, mm-hmm. I think that's what what inspires the name in a lot of ways. Like we are moonlighting, we are in the twilight. Like we're parents, we're, you know, hard workers. We are, we have friends. Like, you know, there's like so many other things that like pull you in and out of this project that you you have to find the time. And I think the flexibility of, of that sharing is what makes this work, you know, like a lot of the songs that came to me were when I, at the time last year, was still bottle feeding my daughter. You know, I'm like sitting in a dark room with a sound machine and my brain is like drifting. I mean, Ryan, you get this as a, a father of a 10 month old, but like you're in a totally amazing state of relaxation sort of. And like my brain would just turn on creatively during that time. So, you know, then Andrew would get weird voice notes at like 1142 p.m. <laughs> I it can't attest like to being it. in any state yeah. of relaxation for the last 10 months, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> that was unfair. You know what? That was unfair because you're not. You're not out of the you're woods not. yet. You're not. It's tough. <laughs> not relaxation, tough. more of a trance, it sounds like. She's like, and then, you know, you're feeding and you can't yeah. move, so your brain like, just keeps going, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like thinking of things. And, I, you know, I'm trying to put her to sleep. I'm like, do I make up a song? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she started humming to the child. I must send that to Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> He'll do something with it. Right. We haven't done a kitty album yet. Yeah. Yet. yet. It's coming. Right. <laughs> well, just so you know, we've had two best children's album Grammy winners on Break the wow. Business. So we, we got a lot of good luck in that genre. So maybe this might uh maybe maybe this could spark something for you. Some of the kids' songs are actually really good. They can be so excellent. That's my happy place. One day I want to be like the next Raffi. That's the person I'm not following. But like, oh man, I will be singing about bananas for a house of children and be happy as a bug, man. Yeah, that's where I'm at. Too. I remember when I asked one of these Best Children's Album Grammy winners, what's the secret to making good children's music? And he told me, it's not for the kids. Yeah. Don't yeah, make us. children's music for children. Like children yeah. will listen to anything. You need something that the parents can tolerate. Totally. You know, so, because they're the ones that have to listen to it in the car. And so, you know, over and over and over and over. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I love this like new resurgence of children's music that all sounds like the Decemberists and stuff. It's just like, oh, really yeah. Good. yeah, I'm like, blasting let it go and i'm like you know what this is a great song like (laughs) awesome yeah (laughs) um so since we're talking about the role that technology is playing in making twilight muses music happen right this album doesn't come together without technology that allows you to send voice notes back and forth. Given how busy you both are as professionals, I would imagine that you also need technology to allow you to make music from flexible locations. You can't always get to some state-of-the-art recording studio to make your music. And so can you talk about like the role that emerging technology is playing in, in creating your m- music? Does Twilight Muse, as it currently exists now, could it exist 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, great question. Um <laughs> And I've actually spent a good portion of my work life thinking about technology's impact on society uh, and work. I put big air quotes around work because I, I mean, I wrote a book about that subject in a million years ago, 1999. Um, and uh, the book was called The Control Revolution. And the whole point was that the internet and other new digital technologies were shifting control from 
the biggest institutions, governments, corporations to individuals and communities. And this is a perfect example. In fact, the book came out and then like six months later, Net, Net, uh, Napster came out. Not, a, oh. not everybody here will remember Napster. Come on. Napster. Well, everybody here. Yeah, this, <laughs> this group. <laughs> the Gen Zers watching this on Twitch don't know what the hell you're talking about. That's, 20, that's 24 years ago. That's pretty crazy. But anyway, oh, the point is Napster, Napster was the canary in the coal mine, right? It was like, oh, wow, everything is going to change. But the, the digitization and decentralization of music and it's music listening. That was listening, but it's music production as well. So, Ryan, to your point, no, we could not exist the way we do today 10 years ago or 15 years ago. Um, we are using state-of-the-art you know, digital uh, tools to create our music. But then, you know, that's how we get to demo stage of the songs. Then we have found that going into a good old fashioned studio with analog machines that have ghosts in them that are, you can't replicate <laughs> digitally, right? Uh, is something really special. So we've, we've, we recorded, uh, moment out of time with three different producers and in three different pretty different studio settings one is a really traditional very well-known recording studio in downtown new york called the cutting room yeah. uh where we cut two tracks um th another was like a a brand new super hip uh recording studio out in brooklyn but in like industrial where's where's slide i think it's in um East Bushwick or yeah, it's like slide studios. It's awesome. It's among a bunch of big industrial facilities and buildings and all this crap. And uh, this producer, Will Baker, who we worked with has his, that's his new studio out in Brooklyn. And then, um, yeah, we have a, our, our good friend, Dan McKenzie, who by the way has written children's albums and music out in LA. Um, and he's got a setup that's more of like a, the modern, like studio in the home kind of thing. Um, but just having those different settings, I think, um, you know, took us beyond just what the digital tools could do. Um, because you can, you know, what's, what's the famous, uh, example today, Billie Eilish, right. Recorded her whole right. first album in her bedroom. Oh, Phineas know. did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there is something different about, you know, recording vocals through, you know, an analog uh, EQ device or compressor or whatever. Well, especially for like a rock genre that I think, you know, where you're, you know, using a lot of yeah. you know, rock With instruments. With a technician who knows how yeah. to use that board because the computer yeah. can take in what you're giving it, but there's an art form in that mixing really? and having somebody there. Yeah. That's something that is valuable, I think, for sure. Sure. So our guests, Andrew Shapiro and Meg Pilaro of Twilight Muse, their debut album set for a June 23rd release. You can find out more by visiting twilightmuse.nyc. Before we let you all go, and it pains me to do so because we're just having such a grand old time right now, but I imagine Andrew wants to get to sleep at some point. But before <laughs> we close out, uh, I got a final question for each of you. We'll start with Meg. Meg, do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? Uh, yeah, I would say um, it's two part answer, but, but mostly um, don't wait for someone else to notice you because if you don't ask, you don't get. And I feel like I learned that really late in life where I was like, I don't want to ask. And, you know, I'll just keep working really hard or, or doing this thing and hopefully someone will, will notice, you know, and they don't a lot of the times, you know, so if you're putting in the work and you've earned it, get it. I dig that. Andrew, same question for you. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? I'll come back to the point we talked about. There's something really powerful about, uh, finding a creative partner, uh, who you can, who can be your foil, who you can bounce ideas off, who can give you that impulse to, I got to come back with a good response to that. Cause that was great. Um, and you know, this has just, uh, been an unexpected gift in that regard. And so, 
grateful that uh, we found that and and I hope everybody else out there will find someone who can they they can uh, they can uh, get to that uh, place of sync with. I am so thrilled for you both. What a great story. Really enjoyed getting to meet you and, and finding more more about it. Andrew, Meg, all the best. Please keep us posted. We want to know about all the cool stuff you got coming up ahead. Our thanks to Andrew Shapiro and Meg Pilaro of Twilight Muse. Thanks to producer Lauren. And thanks to our viewers and listeners for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you. Break the business.